The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Who do you turn to? Whose name do you call when you need help or you're in trouble? So I'll kind of just share from my own experience. So recently, uh, my family, we got hit with the same uh, generous bug that many of you got hit with. So we had some, um, I don't know, I was trying to get like a discreet way of saying this, but like some body fluids coming out of places not supposed to come out. And it was just a mess. And uh, so in the middle of the night, I, I don't know how this happened, right? It, it, I think that I drew the parenting short straw. I don't know why this happened, but I somehow got the short straw. And what that means is that when our kids are in trouble in the middle of the night, they call my name. (laughs) They're like, Daddy! And I'm like, wait, why is, how did my name get called? Like, no joke, if they have a nightmare, they come in our room and they're like, Daddy! I'm like, why not ask for mommy? And uh, so I, that's why I said I got the parenting short straw. And so as a result, they call out daddy and they know I'm going to come running. And even if it's two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to go in the room and I'm going to clean up the mess or I'm going to help them or I'm going to hug them. I get into bed with them and just hold them. Maybe they, you know, this happened just the other night when I had a nightmare and uh, just got in bed and just held her and said, hey, sweetheart, it's going to be okay and prayed over her. And I wonder, you know, if you and I, if you ever really kind of outgrow that need. You know, like, I know that as a grown man, I'm the dad. You know, you're supposed to grow up. And, but I can tell you there are times I've sat in my car, headed home, and I thought, man, it'd be so nice if I could just cry out, Daddy! And somebody would come running and hold me in their arms and say, hey, it's going to be okay. I got this. Don't worry about it. I'll clean it up. You know, you make a mess in your life, and you would love it if, you know, daddy would come and, you know, take the sheets off and clean it up, and and you didn't have to worry about it, or daddy was going to wipe it up, or daddy would hold you and say, hey, it's going to be okay. But, you know, at some point, you start dealing with life issues and life challenges and life problems that don't feel like just a parent can come running in and just kind of wipe up the mess, do they? Do you? And so who do, you, who do you turn to? Whose name do you call? And I, I think, you know, sometimes I've thought I'll call out to God. But there have been crises and moments in my life when I felt like when I called out to God. And I, I didn't necessarily felt like he came running. I'm just trying to be honest. God, help. Instead of feeling like a dad came and wrapped me in his arms. It's like he was far away and distant. And you wonder, where, where is God? Where is God when we needed him most? Where is God when there's a mess that needs to get cleaned up? Where is God when the nightmare became a reality? And I needed God to embrace me and say, I love you, it's going to be okay. And... If you're anything like me, you've had seasons when you felt like you wanted to know that God was close and nearby, but instead he seemed far away, distant, even aloof, uncaring, maybe even cavalier. And you say, where is God? And maybe the worst part of that feeling is not that God might be far away, but that he might be indifferent. 
that he just doesn't care. And so I want to I bring you to an ancient story set around 722, 720 BC. So we're going back, you know, 2,700 years into ancient history. And let me give you a little bit of background and context. Uh, you're going back to a time of war and upheaval where one nation conquers another nation. And uh, the, the kind of the era right now is 722 BC, the Assyrian world power had come and wiped out the northern nation of Israel. And what remained was the nation of Judah. All right. So uh, the Assyrians conquer, destroy uh, Israel. They take the people into exile, and Judah remains. And, and now there, is a mounting, there are mounting armies that have formed alliances that are getting ready to come against the nation of Judah. And during that season, uh, the king, the beloved ruler of Judah, dies. King Ahaz dies. Uh, not that King Ahaz, King Uzziah. He dies, and there's this prophet, th this pastor to the whole nation. So think about it a little bit like, uh, I don't know, like Billy Graham. So Billy Graham gets on national TV in the middle of that season and says, hey, I just want to let you know, I've been praying, and God spoke to me for you. It feels a little bit like that, all right? You kind of with me so far? So we're around 722 BC. The nation of Israel has been wiped out. Judah remains. There's armies gathering to conquer the nation of Judah. And the prophet of the nation of Judah speaks nationally. And he begins to write, later he writes down all of his kind of public messages into a book. That book becomes part of sacred history because it's not just something that a pastor wrote about. It's not just something that this prophet named Isaiah wrote about, but it's something that God was speaking. And so the book of Isaiah gets recorded in the Bible, it becomes part of recorded sacred history, part of how God interacts with man. And because God never changes the way God interacted with man in a season of great war and great turmoil is similar to how God interacts with us Today. And so here they are, the nation of, Is of Judah getting ready to be conquered or fought, you know, war against them by these allies that are vastly outnumbering them. And Isaiah speaks up and he begins to preach to them in this season of great national trouble where it seemed like God was far away and distant. And in the midst of that, here's what we find. Here, here is the prophet Isaiah speaking nationally to an entire group of people that feel overwhelmed and frustrated and broken and desperate, crying out, but not really sure who to call to. They called to daddy, but felt like daddy didn't come running. And so the prophet Isaiah is speaking, and he says this, and that sermon is recorded here in Isaiah chapter 7, and we'll read in verse 2. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. Ahaz is the new king of Judah. He's upset and shaken. As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you woke up in the middle of the night because a nightmare became a reality and you were shaken. Your, your life shaken like the trees shaken by the winds. And so the prophet Isaiah challenges the king. 
And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and it would speak to him through the prophet Isaiah. Ask the Lord, your God, for a sign. Meaning, he's going like this. I want you to know that God is not far away and distant. So ask him to give you a sign to show you that he is with you. He said, ask him for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And in this moment, it sounds like Ahaz is saying the right thing. Well, no, you don't test God. No, you don't, you don't play games with God. But what he's really saying is this. I've trusted God before. And he didn't come through. I turned to God before in prayer. He didn't answer my prayer. So I'm not going to do this again. Nope. I'm not going to ask him for another son. I'm not going to wait for another disappointment. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to ask God to get involved in my battle strategies. I'll take these matters into my own hands. I'm outnumbered. The, these two armies have allied against me. I'll figure it out on my own. I'm not going to trust God again. I'm not going to get let down again. And so he ignores the appeal of Isaiah to say, ask God for a sign. Ask God to do a miracle in your life. Ask God to show you that he is present in the midst of your trouble. And Ahaz crosses his arms and goes, no, not this time. I'll figure it out on my own. And maybe you've never had to be the king of a nation facing great war with allied armies coming against you. But maybe you have been in desperate situations where you've felt like you had to take matters into your own hands. Maybe it was that your boss mistreated you. You felt like you had to take matters in your own hands to get another job. Maybe your coworkers were stealing your credit, making you look bad. Maybe it's an issue in your marriage and you feel like God isn't there and you got to take matters in your own hands. Maybe, maybe a relationship has fallen apart and you have to take matters in your own hands to defend your reputation or to defend your finances or to stick up for yourself. I don't know what you're walking through, but I know that you and I, each of us, have faced desperate situations when we felt like we couldn't turn to God again and we had to do it on our own. And so in the middle of that crisis... God speaks through Isaiah again. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's going to show you a miracle. You're not even asking for it. You're not looking for it. You won't even trust him for it, but he's going to give you a sign anyway. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You're not asking for a miracle. You're not looking for God to show up in their desperate situation. So here's what God's going to do. He's going to give you a sign. And, he, and here's how that's going to work. A virgin is going to have a baby, and that baby is going to be her son, who is going to have the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which it translates into our language, God with us. Here, here's what Isaiah says. All right, you don't want to ask for a sign? You think God is far away? You don't think you can depend on him? him Here's what God's going to do. He's going to show up through a virgin. A woman's going to have a baby, and, her, and that baby's name is going to be God with us. You thought God was far away and distant? Here's the miracle I'm going to give you. God is going to show up 
in the form of a baby. When you felt like God was nowhere to be found, he's going to come and be found among us. When you felt like God was distant, as distant as the sun, God will become a son. What do you do with that? What do you do with some ancient text written 2,700, almost 2,700 years ago that you feel might be completely irrelevant from your life? How do you respond to this? The prophet Isaiah says it again in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 6. He kind of just keeps reiterating this over and over now. He really wants to make the point. He goes like this. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. God says, here's what I'm going to do. When you feel like I'm nowhere to be found, when you feel like you have nowhere else to turn, when it's the middle of the night and your nightmares become a reality, when you've called out and you feel like your daddy can't come running to rescue you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and I'm going to become one of you. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to be present in your life. I'm going to become Emmanuel, God with us. And then you will be able to say with us together, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And what do you do? See, this wasn't just a promise. It was a life-changing reality. How does it change your reality? When you recognize that God became one of us, as Emmanuel, God with us. Here's how it changes your story. Here's how it changes your reality, your today and your tomorrow. It, it, it challenge, that, that truth is a challenge for you and I to welcome God into every part of our life. I want to challenge, I want to encourage you to write that down. As you're taking notes with me today, in your program, in the study guide that we just released, you can write that right into there. Welcome God into every part of my life. Personalize it, own it, say this is for me. I'm going to welcome God into every part of my life. We take matters into our own hands. Because we feel alone, we feel like we have nowhere else to turn. We take matters into our own hands because after a while we become dependent on ourselves rather than dependent on our parents or a friend or a colleague or coworker, even on God, because we believe that we're the only one that will look out for our best interests. Part of that is the reason we take it in our own hands and not put it in God's hands is because we believe that God is far away and distant. But the reason we believe God is far away and distant is partly, <coughs> excuse me, because we know that we've turned our back on God. That it's not that God is far away from us. It's that we are far away from God. Why do we know that we're far away from God? Because there's this core feeling, maybe more than a feeling, a core reality inside of us that says there's something wrong between me and God. What that reality is that helps us recognize that there is something broken in our relationship between me and God is this thing called sin. Sin is a corrupting force inside of every one of us. It's the driving force inside of us that causes my nearly two-year-old son to say no when he should say yes. You put up the Christmas tree and 
Oh, man. <laughs> Today, you know how many times I had to correct him? Dude, keep your hands off the ornaments. I get that he doesn't know what the word ornament means. I get that he doesn't know what decoration means. But I say, keep your hands off the tree. So he just grabs the ornament. And Lord's like, you got to tell me not touch the ornament. I said, you really think he knows the difference between the tree and the ornament? I, I mean, maybe he does. So then I tell him, like, no. And I slap his hand. And he goes... <laughs> Like, dude, like, looking at you, look how big you are. Look at me. Like, that's sin. That little instinct inside of him, that instinct inside of you, that when God says, don't touch it, you go, that's sin that messes up our lives, devastates our relationships, causes us to go and do the very thing that we know is going to mess things up. Yeah, that thing, sin, which is inside of all of us, which drives us to do the very thing that wrecks our lives, sin is what compels us to turn our back on God and go our own direction. Well, the problem is that when we go our own direction, that direction leads to a forever and eternal suffering. That's the cost. And it's in every one of us. And so left on our own, on our own path, left to our own destruction, we will wreck our lives in eternal ruin. But God, right? Like, this is the anthem moment. This is like, I don't, I, you can't contain it. If you really believe this, it starts to stir inside of you and say, but God refused to leave us on our own trajectory where we would wreck our lives, where we would keep touching the very things we should not touch and keep doing the things we shouldn't do. But God got involved in the messiness of our lives and came near. 300 years later, no more prophets like Isaiah preached. They stopped foretelling what God would do, and everything went quiet. For the next 400 years, everything was silent. In fact, if you go back and study history, those 400 years are called the silent years. They're the period between the Old and the New Testament. 400 years called the dry period. Nobody prayed and God answered. No pastors preached and said, I know that God is speaking to us. Nobody worshiped and felt the presence of God. It was just dry, silent. And you could easily imagine that the nation of Israel, the Jewish people began to wonder, where is God? Is God far away and distant? Just like they felt in Isaiah's time, 700 years earlier, when armies were invading. Where is God? Is God far away and distant? Just like you feel sometimes when you feel broken and alone, when you feel like life is falling apart and you wonder, where is God? Is he far away and distant? And in the middle of that, God showed up. And in his showing up, it was recorded by four different authors who each recorded these moments from a different lens. One guy named John he, wrote, he writes it down, and he writes the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. And in, John, in, his, in his gospel, chapter 1, he says this, He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
God showed up. Emmanuel, God with us. He showed up on the scene. I'm here to help. And yet, just like Ahaz said, no, we'll take it from here. No, I, I think I've got this. I'll keep matters in my own hands. The author John continues. He said the word, meaning Jesus, the perfect definition of God in human form. That's if you had to capture that. So the author John just uses this concept of the word, the Greek word logos, meaning this full encompassing of God, the description of God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I like the way the author writes it in the, the message translation where he says, the word showed up and moved into our neighborhood. This picture of God becoming one of us so that you can't miss him. And what do you do with that? The author John says, he showed up, he moved into our neighborhood, he came to that which was his own that he created, and yet people didn't even pay attention. They didn't receive him. And so what is your challenge? When we talk about welcoming God into every aspect of our life, what does that look like? If God has showed up as Emmanuel, God with us, how do you respond today in, as you go into a, as you're living your life? What, what do you do with this promise? This thought, this reality that if God really is this close and God loves you and knows you by name, knows your story, wants to be intimately involved in your life, how do you respond? It's this. If we're going to welcome God into every aspect of our life, we have to first invite Christ into our life. It has to begin by this moment where we say, Jesus I not only believe that you came to earth as Emmanuel, God with us, I not only believe that you lived a perfect life, born of a virgin named Mary, you did signs, wonders, and miracles, but I believe the story didn't stop there. I believe that you came to give your life in death because I deserve to die. This is a radical reality. That God would become one of us to take the death sentence of our lives because of sin on himself so that when Jesus died, he died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith could be forgiven of their sins and given new life. When you pause and you get past the fact that you've heard this before and you start really letting that settle into your spirit and you start contemplating this thought, wait, God became a man, born of a virgin, to rescue me from sin, Emmanuel, God with us, so that I could have new life through faith in him, this changes everything. When you believe in Jesus by faith, you believe that Jesus died on a cross, rose again, and forgives you of sin, then you understand that God not only wants to be with you, but he wants to be in your life, in every aspect of your life. So, so now let's, let's go back to the story, not just of Isaiah, but the story of this Emmanuel. This God who shows up. How does he show up? Well, Isaiah said a virgin would conceive 
and have a son. And this son's name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And so let's, let's look at what that sounds like. In the, the, the story is written from another lens, a guy named Luke, who was a doctor, who later recorded the life and teachings of Jesus, the gospel according to Luke. Luke writes about this moment this way in Luke chapter 1. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, went to Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now that's important. I know it's just a little preposition, but remember the word with, the Lord is with you. Then he goes like this, verse 34, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. This is a little strange. Hey, I'll admit it. A virgin having a baby, a little strange. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this. If I marry, I'm not sure that I like this whole uh, deal here. All right, but the, but the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is a direct reference back to Isaiah saying, for unto us a child will be born, unto us a son is given. The son, Emmanuel, God with us. Here's what happens. The angel shows up and says, the Lord is with you, but Jesus wants to be in you. Like literally in you, growing in you. And Mary goes, do what you want with me. And then the Holy Spirit in something that can only be described as a miracle, a baby conceived by the Spirit of God in Mary begins to grow. This is a one-time moment promised hundreds of years earlier that this would happen. But there is a picture of how you are to live. Are you like Mary? That when God speaks to you and says, the Lord is with you, He's with you in your troubles. He's been with you in your crisis. The Lord has been with you when you laid in bed crying yourself to sleep. The Lord was with you when you were trying to be a strong, powerful man, trying to keep your life under control, thinking you had to figure it all out. The Lord was with you in those desperate moments. But he doesn't just want to be with you. He wants to be in you. Not literally Jesus impregnated, you know, impregnated in you. We're not going to get all weird with me, get all creepy. All right, we'll leave that to Mary one time. The Holy Spirit did that the way only God can. But in a very real but spiritual way, when you believe in Jesus by faith, the Spirit of God forgives you of sin, removes the shame and guilt, and then God's Spirit, which is invisible and eternal, enters in to your spirit. Not just Emmanuel, God, with us, but when Emmanuel showed up, he was not only with people, but he was in Mary. All right, so when we believe in God by faith through Jesus Christ, he doesn't just want to be with us, he wants to be in us. And when it's Christ in us, everything begins to change. You're not alone. Now you know who you can cry out to in trouble. You cry out to a God that is not just with you, but the Spirit of God which is in you. 
in you. And when God is in you, everything begins to change. So, so let me challenge you. Are, you. are you using religion to make yourself feel better? I mean, you're just going through the formalities of church and prayer? Like God is a lucky charm that's with you? Or is it God in you? Changing everything about your life. God in you through faith in Jesus. See, because when Jesus is in your life, you become someone different. In fact, John says that very thing in verse 12 of John chapter 1. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I love this little phrase. The Son of God became the Son of Man, so the sons of man could become the sons of God. He said, to anyone who does receive him, he receives them. He calls them his own, children of God. So God sent his son to welcome us into his family so we could become the sons of God children of God, born not of a mother physically, but born of the Spirit of God. And when you welcome God's Spirit into your life, everything begins to change. In fact, I'd encourage you to make that a note as you're taking notes. See, it's not just that you invite Christ into your life, it's that then we invite him in. When we invite him in, we begin to become like him. Can I challenge you? Just write that down. When we invite him in, we become like him. He begins to change us from the inside out, the Holy Spirit. I want to make sure you don't miss this, right? So God is triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God revealed in three persons. So Jesus Christ, the second person of God, had comes to earth. He's Emmanuel, God with us. When we believe in Jesus, that he died and rose again, we receive the third person of the, of the Godhead, his spirit, into our spirit. I know it's a little complicated. Trust me, it's even sometimes hard to explain. But when we just believe this by faith and say, I know that God's spirit is in me, he begins to change me so that I become more like him. Several different authors write about this reality. One of them, this guy named Saul, who became Paul. If you've been here before, you've heard me talk about this multiple times. Saul is changed, and he changes his name to reflect that change. He starts these churches all across Asia and Europe, and he writes letters to them. I'm going to read to you from a few of these letters. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right? He's not saying that Jesus actually comes and lives in your physical heart. He's using a metaphor to say that God's spirit, when you believe in Jesus, will enter into your spirit by faith, and he will make you rich. In, in his letter to the church in Colossae, the letter of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. As the Spirit of God is in us, he begins to change us and make us more like him. Think about it. Mary welcomes the Spirit of God to overshadow her, and it's Jesus in her transforming. I mean, she became physically changed. How are you being changed because the Spirit of God is in your life? 
He doesn't just want to hang out with you. He doesn't just want to go along for a ride with you. The Spirit of God wants to be in you so that you are radically different than you are right now, so that everything about your life is changed. Every aspect of your being is different than it was before you came in contact with Jesus. Your life and my life should be as radically different after we meet Jesus than the way Mary's life was. She was physically different. Her life became physically changed. Our lives should be spiritually different, and every aspect of our life should be changed because it's Christ's spirit in us making us more like him. And so let me read another passage just so that you really grasp the depth of this transformation. The author Paul writes in his letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, meaning I was willing to die spiritually to myself. I've died to my own agenda, to my own desires, to my own sinful nature. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. God loves you. He sent his son to give his life for us so that he would die on a cross and rise again, paying the penalty for our sin so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith can receive new life. But it's not just God with us, it's God in us by his spirit, making us into someone who we can never be on our own. And so I want to just challenge you. How are you different because you believe in Jesus by faith? If, if right now you've been, you've been trying to take matters into your own hands, you've been trying to do this on your own, you're, you're trying, to, trying to fix the problem, you're trying to figure out how to solve the, the challenges you're facing, maybe your nightmare has become a reality and you're trying to fix it on your own, maybe it's time for you to desperately cry out to God the Emmanuel. There's no other name you can cry out to. In the middle of the night, in the middle of your desperation, in the middle of your need, no, there's no other name but Emmanuel, God with us, who wants to be in us. Would I, can I challenge you? If right now you've been trying to do this on your own, your moment right now is to believe in Jesus by faith and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow his spirit to enter into your spirit. But if you already believe in Jesus, then my challenge to you is, are you welcoming him into every aspect of your life? Are you continuing to cry out to him? Are you allowing him to transform you so that you become more like him? Would you take a moment right now and would you pray? Would you allow God's spirit to speak to your spirit? Would you allow God's spirit to invite you to invite him in to every aspect of your life? Would you pause? Would you pray right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.